Well, let's uh, start. We're starting a new series, starting a series in the book of Isaiah. And the reason I picked Isaiah is because on Easter morning, I want to preach Isaiah 53. I love that chapter in Isaiah. I don't believe I've ever preached on it. And so I'm really looking forward to that. And as I began to get into that chapter, I began to see some other things in Isaiah. And I went, you know what? I really love this book. There's some things that are difficult in it. But there's things that I love about the book of Isaiah. And so decided that's the direction that we're going to go this coming uh, uh, series. And so uh, I titled it Isaiah, The Comforting Announcement of the Approaching Deliverance. The coming announcement, or comforting announcement of the approaching deliverance. And that word comfort, and, and what you'll see is I decided I'm not covering the whole book. There's 66 chapters. Try to squeeze, squeeze 66 chapters in about six or eight weeks, that would be tough. Even taking the second half, which is what I've decided to do starting in chapter 40, is a lot. But I decided I want to I cover that, but I want to give you a sense of perspective of where chapter 40 fits within the whole thing. So if you'll turn to chapter 40, we're going to do the first 11 verses of chapter 40 of Isaiah. So... In Isaiah 40, in, in verse 1, he starts out, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Some of you are familiar with those words because of Handel's Messiah. If you've ever listened to that during December time of year, you'll hear that, and I'm not going to sing that beautiful tenor line. You know, comfort ye, comfort ye, right? And I begin to ask the question this morning, and I want to start with the question, and then I'm going to show you kind of how, that, how it fits within the book. Here's my question this morning for us. Do you need the comfort of God? Some of you, the minute I said that, said in your minds, yes, absolutely. Some of you have said, no, I got this. I'll let you know when I need your comfort, Lord, right? Because you're tough, you know, you're not the emotional type and you're, you're thinking, I got this. I'm strong, right? And so the minute I say those two things, you think, oh, the yeses, they're good. The noes, not so good, right? I think we all struggle with this, with the comfort of God. We say we need it, but then where do we go for comfort? Food? Comfort food is what we call it, right? That's why I'm standing behind the podium and kind of, you know, hiding a little bit. <laughs> we have a, an emotional support animal, cat, dog, goldfish, whatever it is. And we find that we need things in this life or we think we need these things. We're trying to fix and salve where we really need the comfort of God. And so we'll say, yes, I need the comfort of God. And then we look in all these other places. I mean, I, I know for me, during vacation time, I did something that um, uh, I always wanted to do. You know, you always see these really tough guys, you know, they, these, these, in these movies, especially westerns, and they'll, they'll take their shirt off and they're ripped, you know. 
well, I'm already down on that one, but uh, I'm ripped in my own mind, right? And take an ax, and they have this log standing there, one whack. You know, you, know, you see that? And when I've tried that, of course, I, I realized, oh, they were using pine, not oak. Oak just doesn't work the same. Well, during vacation, I had a, a weighted axe. I didn't know those, they even made such things. With pine, and I think the cold weather had something to do with it. And, and God would just answer my prayer, right? And I'd stand the log up there. Wow. I mean, it was just like this. It just split one hit. That was so incredible. And I just think how we have in our minds, and I found what, for me, there was some comfort in just physical labor. I find comfort there. And so sometimes I'll find that I'm looking for physical labor. Some of you may be looking for hunting, fishing, whatever it is that you do to kind of get your mind off of things. Maybe it's deep breathing. Maybe it's different exercises that you do and you go to the gym. I mean, all these different things. And we say, yes, Lord, I need your comfort. And then why do I look for all this other stuff to try to get comfort? And I begin to realize, yeah, I say it with my mouth, but I'm not seeking God's comfort. In fact, sometimes I'm blaming God. This is your fault, God, that this stuff is happening. It's your fault that you allowed this COVID thing to happen in our world. It's your fault that, and all of a sudden you find yourself blaming instead of looking to comfort. Or you may say, no, I don't need his comfort. And here's, here's my suggestion on that score. Go back to these first words of chapter 40. He doesn't say comfort one time right? He says it twice. Why? For emphasis. It'd be like making it bold and underlining it. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. And not only that, if we think that we don't need God's comfort, who does this verse say that God is? The God of all comfort, right? God in his attributes, and this is something you need to understand about the attributes of God. They're not just something he does occasionally. They're who he is. God is love, right? It's not that he just occasionally loves. He is love. He is the definition of love. Love emanates from him. All love that we do and experience in our lives comes from him. All goodness is the same way, and so is comfort. So if I'm saying I don't need comfort, what I'm really saying is, God, I don't need you. And we push him away. God thinks that we need comfort. And we see that in John 14, 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper or the word is comforter. So when you accept Christ as your Savior, you get the Father as all comfort. You get the Holy Spirit as the comforter to live and reside within you. Do you need the comfort of God is the question. Yes. Yes. Because I need God. I need him in my life and he is the God of all comfort. 
And you think about this last year. In fact, even when we went on vacation recently, during that week that we were gone, my wife's aunt died, her mother's sister, and her father fell and broke three ribs. Do you need the comfort of God? Absolutely. COVID has brought anxiety to many of our lives. In fact, I was thinking about it in this regard to the COVID thing, and it brought not just a little bit of stress, but an ongoing stress, right? This ongoing angst about life. We need the comfort of God. I was thinking about just this uh, snowmageddon that we had. Some of you guys are still dealing with stuff, aren't you? Still trying to get your house together. I see the Dibley sitting here. You went through a very stressful year as well. Do we need the comfort of God? Absolutely, we need his comfort because we need him because he is the one that watches over our lives. He is the one who is all goodness. He is the one who is all comfort. And so we need his comfort. I believe that's why Isaiah starts out here and he says, comfort, comfort my people. Who are his people? Well, in this case, he's talking about the children of Israel. He's talking about Israel itself. In regard to us, who is his people? The church. And he wants us to understand and experience the comfort that he has for us, his people, and we are, it says, your God. That we are related to the one who is our God. He wants that closeness of relationship, and that closeness of relationship involves his comfort. Now, we need to understand the context of this. When you pick up the Isaiah 40, now you want to back up a little bit. You want to back up to chapters, uh, in fact, uh, let me, this is where I'm going to give you kind of the outline of the book. It'll kind of give you an understanding of how the book works and fits. First, you have three sections. The first section, judgment. Then there's a little history in the middle, and then comfort. That's the structure of the book. I know if you look at the Bible project, they got all these little drawings and stuff. I wanted to just kind of simplify it down, right? Judgment and comfort. Judgment, a little bit of history, comfort. Now, before I give you the next slide here, in the history section, you notice, you remember that Greg Lingle talked about chapters 36 and 37, Hezekiah and Assyria coming to Israel. Here, the northern kingdom, Assyria took in 722, took the northern kingdom called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. They attacked and took the, the northern kingdom and sent them away into exile. Then they came around to Jerusalem and they were, they were saying to Hezekiah, your God, even your God's not gonna be able to stop us. None of the other gods have. And anytime you see that in scripture, you go, uh-oh. It's going to be bad for them. Direct challenge of God, right? Sennacherib was defeated not because of Hezekiah, but because of God. An angel of the Lord, it says, struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. They wake up the next day. Those guys are gone, and there's spoils everywhere. 
185,000. God miraculously delivered them. And then he gives Hezekiah another 15 years. And then we see in chapter 39. In in verse 5 it says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming. When all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing will be left. What would you feel like if you heard those words? Well, I, 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 to be honest, I don't really like Hezekiah's response. He says, the things which you've spoken are good. And I, I know we just sang about God being good, but he's, here's his thinking. There will be peace and security in my days. In other words, it's not going to happen to me. And I think, what kind of comfort is that? You know, Hezekiah, come on. I mean, it's something that, that sounds like something that I would tell a friend of mine who's going through something very difficult. And I say, you know, I know that you're going through a really difficult time. And just by way of encouragement, I want to say better you than me. <laughs> right? <laughs> See, aren't you encouraged now? And uh, they're not really, but they laugh. Uh, that's almost like what he's saying here. I think that's why Isaiah begins to say in chapter 40, comfort my people. I mean, imagine that statement. Your country is going to be decimated by your enemy and you're going to be deported. Okay, now that doesn't feel very personal to you. Let me make it more personal. What if Isaiah the prophet showed up today, he was standing right here and he said to all of us, China is going to destroy America and you all are going to lose everything that you have and you're going to be deported to China. How would that make you feel? Whoa. I mean, you'd want some comfort at that moment. You would want somebody saying, give me some good news, right? And that's why he begins to write chapter 40. He begins to give good news and he gives this good news because it's this idea of, This exile is just prominent between these chapters, between chapter 39 and chapter, uh, I should say 40. Between 39 and 40, there's this exile. This exile time before the exile is almost 100 years and then uh, the time of the exile. So you've got over 100 years of time between these two chapters. It's what's caused some people to say, oh, there's a different Isaiah. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I want to give you this perspective here. And so when you come to this idea of comfort, oops, from chapters 40 to 66, you have a series of nine nine sermons three times, 27 sermons. These 27 sermons are all focused on the comfort of God. And and the comfort kind of goes like this. That the comfort is... The Babylonian exile is coming to an end. Be comforted by that. Forgiveness of your sins by the suffering servant. Be comforted by that. And sufferings can be followed by a far more exceeding weight of glory. It's going to be followed by a new heavens and a new earth. And in fact, and if I can't see this really clearly here, I think it's this one. 
the good news, the suffering servant, and the new heavens and new earth. It's very eschatological. It's very focused. It's very uh, Christological, if I can use that. It focuses on the person of Jesus, really through the whole book. It focuses on the good news. And so when you look at this structure here, you see that you think, well, some people have said, well, because of that, because of that big gap, I mean, how could Isaiah know that one, Babylon, 75 years after his death, was going to take over for Assyria and deport you because he's very clear here. He says it's Babylon. He says in verse five or verse six, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. And some of your own sons will come with you whom your father, uh, whom you will father shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the power, in the palace of the king of Babylon. How did he know that? 75 years before those things, or, or 75 years before Babylon was even a thing, was even a country that took over Assyria. And so some have said, well, and with this one, it, there was an original Isaiah who wrote the first 39 chapters, and then there was a second Isaiah, Deutero-Isaiah, or a disciple of Isaiah, who wrote the rest of the stuff couple hundred years later I don't hold that view I hold this view where Isaiah wrote and he's looking forward to what's going to happen and even looking forward because God knows everything it's not a problem for God to know Babylon's going to be the one that comes along destroys Assyria comes and takes the southern kingdom and deports them and even mentions Cyrus by name as the one who was going to allow you to go back into your country. And when you look at that, you realize, I mean, when you think about this empire, you have Assyria who was in charge at the time, but here Babylon, Babylon was around. Who knew that they were going to take over and dominate the entire known world at that time and influence all that they did? God knows. God knows. And he spoke through Isaiah to let his people know. Well, you can imagine after hearing that horrible news, they needed to hear some good news. And this good news, this, this first 11 verses are a prologue. It's the first sermon, but it's a prologue to the whole rest of the book. So let's get into it a little bit. It's a great chapter. I love, I love these verses. He says, comfort my people, says your God. So there's a personal relationship with God, this personal uh, uh, relationship with the God of the universe, my people, your God. Now, the important, one of the important things to understand here is, is when you're looking at this, uh, this book, many people in the ancient world thought of gods as their own localized gods, gods of their city, gods of their country, the gods of the Canaanites. You hear that a lot of times with the gods of, and then it names a, a place, right? The thing about the God of the universe, when you look at Isaiah, he takes a whole different approach to who God is. He takes the approach that's very universal. He says God is sovereign. He rules over all. 
And you saw how he ruled over even Sennacherib's God earlier in the book. And so he's, his focus, and you'll begin to see this in some of these chapters, he is holy. He is the holy one of Israel. There is no evilness found in him. He is the only God. No room for other gods. Now you'll see God of gods, right? And so what are these other gods, God of gods? Well, they're not real gods, right? Not infinite gods. They'd be finite gods. But God is over any other god or supposed god. He is the creator and not just the creator of Israel, the creator of the entire world. That, that of the world, that would have blown the minds of the ancients going, what? You're saying your God is the God over all gods and he's the God that's, that's the creator of all things and all peoples everywhere? Yes, he's universal. He's for all people for all time. And because of that, he's the redeemer for all people for all time. And so you begin to see this, this picture of God as it begins to develop uh, in this book. And he is my God. This idea of a covenant God. My God. My people says you are God. Then he goes on in verse 2 and says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. That, that phrase, speak, speak tenderly, has the idea of win their hearts. That word, win their hearts. Win the hearts who of Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. Now, it's not idea of this crying because you're sad. It's this idea of cry as a town crier, as a herald, as one who speaks forth to someone. And you see this through this. In fact, it becomes the structure, this idea of crying out. Is, it forms the structure of, the, uh, of this chapter because you see in verse 3, a voice cries. You see in, vo in verse 9, a voice says cry. And I said, what shall I cry? So what will I herald? And then he says in verse 9, herald, be a herald of the good news. Lift up your voice. So there's that idea again of a voice. And so in verse 3, a voice cries. In verse 6, a voice cries. In verse 9, lift up your voice. And that creates the structure of this message that that Isaiah gives to us. He says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her. What do you want to cry to her? These three things. And as I looked at these three things, I realized just uh, yesterday or even this morning, wow, this is the structure of the whole last 26 chapters. Three sermon, three, three sets of nine sermons. The first set, that her warfare is ended. And the word warfare could be translated exile. That her exile is ended. Her exile is paid for. And that's if you'll remember what that section is talking about. The end of the Babylonian exile in chapters 40 to 48. Your exile is going to be ended. Would that be comforting to know? Your exile is going to come to an end. And in fact, later, you're going to go back into the land. That her iniquity is pardoned, that your sins will be forgiven. That's these chapters. Forgiveness of sins by the suffering servant. The thing that Israel didn't understand, they thought Jesus was going to come, the Messiah was going to come as a conquering king. No, he's going to come first as a suffering servant. Isaiah was very clear about that. 
and then that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And you kind of go, what? Wait a minute, I thought this was supposed to be comforting. What is this double for all your sins? I I don't like that part, right? The thing that I looked at, and, and the different commentators took different views of this. Some of the commentators took the view that this was double judgment. And there are passages they went to in the Old Testament. You can see them double judgment because of sins. But I began to read and I began to look for those who were also talking about double favor. Double favor that comes even in spite of our sins. And as I was looking at that, I was thinking, oh, wow. This, since, since the context... Because you always want to understand something in its context. And if there's a reason that the context is pointing very strongly that a word needs to be used in terms of double favor instead of double judgment, then you need to pay attention to that. The context is always important. Like I can say the word trunk and you have no context. So you don't know, am I talking about an elephant's trunk? Am I talking about a car trunk? Am I talking about the trunk, uh, a telephone trunk, which is a more technical term. And if I say, well, a gray trunk, well, that still could be an elephant's trunk. It still could be a car trunk of a gray car or whatever, right? You need context. The word can mean all these different things. It can be, but in a context, it's really important. And so I say a fleshy gray trunk, then you need to know it's either a really weird car or you're talking about an elephant right? So you look at the context here and he goes, blessing, warfare, uh, exile ended, blessing, iniquity pardoned. Judgment doesn't fit. Blessing, double, double favor, double forgiveness of sins, amazing forgiveness of sins, this idea of, of the double inheritance that, a, that the firstborn would get, that, there's, that this double blessing is part of scripture as well. And so you, and you realize it could be used that way. And I think in this context, that's the way it should be taken. Double favor, double forgiveness, amazing forgiveness by Jesus Christ, the suffering servant coming along to give us forgiveness of sins, which we'll look at on Easter Sunday in Isaiah 53. Wow, that's our God. And the context is comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to them and cry out to them. Your exile is ended. Your uh, sins are forgiven and you have double blessing that's coming. And we see that, that idea also carried over into verse 10. It says, behold, his reward is with him. And so that's the focus of these 11 verses, which are the intro to the end of the book. And so you know it's talking about blessing. It's a talking about comfort. And so a voice cries out. We have this undefined voice. A voice cries out. Whose voice is this? We're not sure. Is it Isaiah's voice? Perhaps. But listen to the words. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert a highway of our God. We know a New Testament character who, who said these words, who when, when, when asked was, was told people, he said, you know, they said, who are you? 
are you? This was John the Baptist they were asking this question of. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Who do you say, what do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Oh, he's referring to Isaiah 40. This is John the Baptist saying, look in your Bibles. This is, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that was talked about there because the Messiah is coming. Make straight the way of the Lord as, I, uh, as Isaiah the prophet has said. So John the Baptist, this guy. The, the idea of a herald is, the, is an ancient thought, is, is an ancient uh, thing. I mean, today we don't need a herald. We, our herald is in our pockets, right? This is our herald. And we have things that pop, if I got all st- sorts of stuff popping up on my phone, no, notify me of this, notification of that, right? So that's our herald of modern day. Their herald was like uh, what we see in chapter 36, Rabshakeh. Rabshakeh in chapter 36 was, was, was the one from Assyria. It says, and the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And what was Rabshakeh's purpose? To defeat Israel with words. To say, your God is not going to defend you. And they, were, and they said, hey, won't you speak you know, in, in the language that our people on the wall don't know? He goes, no, I'm speaking it to everybody. I want everybody to hear. This is for everybody's ears. And he responds, but the Rabshakeh said, has my master sent me to speak these words to your master only and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall? That's in 36, 12. So we see this idea of a herald just a few chapters before here. And he's saying, a herald is going to come and he's going to be just like this, the Rabshakeh that you read about in a few chapters earlier. This herald, though, is going to proclaim something completely different. And the first thing he's going to do is prepare the way for the Lord. And then he gives this image, a physical image, but I think he's intending a spiritual purpose here. He says, make straight the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain shall be made low. What's the purpose? Make even ground. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. In other words, repair all the potholes, right? Make a smooth path. Because you have an ancient path. In fact, yesterday, uh, uh, we were driving. There, there was a gate open. We, we were going to look at this house. It said, oh, the gate's open, and there's a real estate sign. and doesn't say don't come in. So we came in, right? Oh, my goodness. The road was, you know, bumpy and big potholes and mud holes and stuff. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Why did we drive? And there's no way to really back you just kind of keep going forward right well in ancient times if you had a dignitary coming you wanted to roll out the red carpet you wanted to smooth the pass and so you sent crews ahead to repair the roads and to make them and clean them up they'd pick up all the trash and they would repair the roads so that when the dignitary comes through they would have a smooth path that's the picture but what's the preparation that needs to be made for us our hearts Preparing our hearts, our people prepared, our hearts prepared for Jesus. And so we need to go back and think about what, if, what am I facing in my life? Where do I need comfort? And I'm kind of refusing it from God. I'm refusing to be comforted. Are there times when you've refused to be comforted? Somebody comes along and wants to put their arm around you and you're like, don't touch me. 
Why do you do that? Why do you pull away when somebody tries to comfort you because we're hurt, we're angry, maybe that person hurt us, and we find ourselves pulling away, sometimes pulling away from God because we feel like maybe he hurt us or allowed us to be hurt. We need to prepare our hearts. We need to look at our hearts. We need to ask the Lord to investigate our hearts. David does that in the Psalms. And that we clean up any, any way within us that's not good. That our hearts be prepared for the Lord. Then it says, and the glory of the Lord, verse 5, shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so you think about the purpose of Israel. Their purpose was to explain, to give light to the nations, to, to, to glorify God among the nations. And yet they struggled with that purpose. They ended up just kind of buying into what the nations were doing. The nations had a king, they wanted a king. The nations were following these other gods, they followed after some of these other gods. And God chose them for a reason. His purpose in choosing them was not because everybody else was second class citizens in some way. He chose them to be a light for the Gentiles, to be a light for the world. Is one of the reasons why Jesus was so furious with the money changers in the temple. And he said, this is to be a place of prayer for all nations. You're supposed to be a light to the nations and you're failing in that process. And he's saying, but if your heart's prepared, Isaiah, then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Your heart's prepared. And when, when your king comes, he's going to be glorified. Then you see another voice in verse six. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And now you're expecting something positive, right? Here's what he says. All flesh is as grass and all the beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass and you're going, and this is supposed to be comfort. What? The comfort comes in the next phrase but the word of our God shall stand forever. He's saying, you know your life is temporary. You know your life is short. You know that you can't comfort your own life. You are weak, but God is strong. He has everything that we need. You know, the apostle Peter picks up on this passage. Apparently he loved Isaiah too. Because he quotes this very section. And yet he says some things at the beginning of it. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for, and here's the quote, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then he goes on and explains, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So Peter's saying, this has application today in our own lives. And you realize it's exactly what Isaiah goes on to say. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Peter just makes it clear. He's talking about the gospel. Isaiah takes a little more time and he gets to, it takes him till chapter 53 
another 13 chapters later to talk about Messiah being the solution in this good news. But he makes it clear that it has to do with God and his relationship in our lives because he says, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Wait, it says it twice. Herald of good news. He doesn't want him to miss this. This is good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. God is going to be present in Jerusalem again. He was present in the Holy of Holies. And whenever Babylon came and destroyed the temple and took all the, the furnishings of the temple and, and, and deported them, people felt like the presence of God is gone. He says, Jerusalem, tell all everybody in Judea, you be the proclaimers Behold your God. And I was thinking about how Pilate said, behold the man. And he had Jesus show up with a crown of thorns and with, with this purple robe. And, and he was mocking Jesus' kingship and even did so on the cross. Saying king of the Jews in three languages. And Isaiah says, no, that's going to be behold your God. Pilate got it wrong. He was making fun of him. Behold, the Lord God comes. That's the comfort. God is coming. God is coming for you. The God of all comfort is coming to comfort your hearts. And here's how he's going to do it. He's going to rule and he's going to shepherd. It says, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So he's going to reward us. There's the comfort. And then he talks about his shepherding role. Four things. He'll tend his flock. He'll gather the lambs. He'll carry them in his bosom. He's going to lead those who are with young. What does that tell us? He's going to nurture your heart. Prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord himself will help prepare your heart for himself. He will nurture you. Why would you gather up lambs in your arms? Because you love them? Because they're going wayward and you need to kind of bring them in? Why would you carry them? Because they're weak? Because they're wayward and they stray, which, which even Isaiah says, all we like sheep go astray. We're, we, we, we don't go toward the shepherd always. He'll gently lead those who are with young. He doesn't overdrive the sheep. He knows how much we can handle. When we look at this, we need to ask ourselves, do I need the comfort of God? Yes. Because I need him. And he is coming. When we look at our world, we look at our nation, and we see all the things that are going on right now and all the disruption of life because of COVID and, and all the different things that disturb our hearts about our, our land and our world. And we wonder, where is this going? Behold your God. Behold the Lord comes with might. That is our comfort. Jesus is coming again. And he talks about this new Jerusalem throughout the book, but especially in the last chapters. Because the end 
always impacts the present. When we think about retiring someday, it impacts the present. I save with that in view. When you're thinking about your kids going to college, you save money with that in view. You talk to them about how incredible it's going to be. You give them those word pictures, those images, so that they can look forward to that day. When we think about the end in view, it always impacts the present. And the question about the present is, do I need the comfort of God? Yes. Where do I go for comfort typically? Hmm. We need to think about that. We need to find ourselves going to him naturally. Not pushing him away, not rejecting him, not being angry at him. Believing what we say, he is good. Believing what we say, he is all comfort. Believing what we say, that he is the sovereign ruler of the universe. Believing that he wants to nurture us, that he wants to tend us, that he wants to gather us in his arms, that he wants to carry us in his bosom, that he wants to lead us with gently and that we follow. We call him Lord. Let's go to him. Let's find ourselves embracing his ways and his thoughts because our, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Which means we need to change. He's right. He's the one that doesn't need to change. We do. Where are you? Let's go and seek his comfort. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for Isaiah. We thank you for his focus on your comfort and on who you are, on the suffering servant, Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would help us to understand our need of you. We are your people. You are our God. And that means something. It's not just something we say but it's more like what was said by Solomon in Song of Solomon. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Your desire is for us. And one of those desires you have for us is to comfort our hearts. And you comfort us even when we try to push you away, you still pull us to yourself. Lord, I know that there are people that have gone through some very difficult things this year and are facing some difficult things in this, this year that we're presently in. Help them, Lord, to come to you, to see you as the one who brings comfort for them. Not to push you away, but to come to you. Father, I pray for those who have never come to you because coming to you means that we need to embrace Jesus and they haven't done that yet. They haven't received Christ as their savior. I pray that, that they would do that even today. That they would say, Lord Jesus, I need you. And right now I receive you into my life. Just a simple statement of faith. A simple step toward you. And you do all the rest you do everything. You even did more at the beginning in the preparation than we ever understood. Father, help us. Help us to prepare our hearts for you. Help us to prepare ourselves to follow you, to come to you. 
Not to try to fix things on our own and think we got it. Not to say yes to you and, and then really seek after other things. Help us to truly come to you. Help us to be honest with ourselves when we're not doing that. Guide us, Lord. Because ultimately in our hearts, what we really are longing for is you. You are the good. You are the comfort. You are love. You are the creator, the God of the universe, holy. Help us to follow you. Help us to seek after you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.